listening to an episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, thank you. Tales continues to expand our listening base across the globe. It's been downloaded in over 300 cities worldwide. In the last episode, I expressed my utter amazement with the addition of the country Nepal. This week, a new country of listeners were added. Lithuania. Located in the Baltic region of Europe, northeast of Poland, west of Russia, across the Baltic Sea from Sweden. If you're fond of brunettes, good place to visit in the summertime. So, to my new friends in Lithuania, Sveki Iki Greto. This is part two of my interview with Josh Salzman, personal trainer of high-profile clients like Angelina Jolie, Kate Winslet, Scarlett Johansson, Hugh Jackman, Pierce Brosnan, Ernie Els, and many more. In the first part of this episode, Josh in his unfiltered style, waxed poetically about his experience with Her Majesty Sarah Duchess of York, their near-death experience in New York City on 9-11, and other very intimate details of working with the royal family. In this second part, Josh talks to us about his meeting and training with songwriter, singer, and performer Sir Paul McCartney of the Beatles and Wings. Paul had hundreds of songs we love to listen to, like Hey Jude, Penny Lane, Let It Be, Yesterday, Maybe I'm Amazed, Band on the Run, A Wonderful Christmas Time, Live and Let Die, and then collaborations with Stevie Wonder like Ebony and Ivory, or with Michael Jackson for This Girl Is Mine. His contribution to the world of music is arguably the most prolific, and it sticks in your head like an earworm. Paul McCartney and the Beatles made an incredible impact when they hit the United States. And Josh is going to talk about, you know, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, but they were hot back in the 60s. Their music was incredible, but also their hair design. I mean, they basically had like a bowl cut and everybody was wearing their hair short at the time. So these guys come to the United States with long hair. And I think I've told this in earlier episodes. When my brother and I were young, we happened to have ended up in a Broadway play. 
and Davy Jones was in the play with us. And Davy Jones also had that Beatles-like look. So we wore our hair like that in the show. Well, when my parents moved us to Long Island and we got out of the show, here's my brother and I with these bowl-cut haircuts. And I'll tell you what, it worked for the Beatles, but it doesn't work for a nine-year-old kid. I must have gotten my ass kicked so many times till I finally cut my hair. But anyway, I digress. So Josh will be telling us his experiences with Paul. And as you can imagine, if you've heard any of his other interviews, it's just not any other. Yeah, I went and I trained the guy. We did push-ups. We did pull-ups. It's nothing like that. With Josh in his life, <laughs> he's got to have some experience where he makes mistakes, but he ends up getting out of them because he's Josh. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did talking to Josh. You also had an experience... um, in training Sir Paul McCartney. That's right. And so was he Sir was he a Sir at the time or where was he as it pertained to the Beatles? Okay, so where, it was nineteen ninety four. So the Beatles broke up in I think seventy, you know, after Hey Jude. You know, they kind of broke up pretty much after that. You know, they they made the the famous, you know, where they were Abbey Road when they were walking to Abbey Road, which is in St. John's yeah. Wood. And I've been to Abbey Road many times for seeing clients in that area. And they have the crosswalk there. And you see all these people going to the Abbey Road studios, you know. Well, that's where the Beatles walked across about 1970, 69, 70. And then they broke up after that. And some of that was probably uh, Linda, Yoko Ono, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. You start bringing more cooks in the kitchen and things get hairy. I get it. But I think the thing about it is, so I always, I remember the Beatles when I was eight years old because I was, yeah, I was about eight years old. It's about 1964 they came over. And I remember my dad started laughing when they got off the plane saying, look at these guys with their haircuts. And the next thing they were, they were on Ed Sullivan and, you know, we got a really big shoe here. You know, that. remember that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah, and, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So I went, fuck the Beatles. And the Beatles were everything that we used to have. We used to, we had somebody in our street when we were like 10 years old, take tennis rackets and make them with cardboard on the top, make it look like John's guitar. It had a certain look. Paul had a certain look. Oh yeah, they know, were the th- I look. I remember when they hit the United States. We were at yeah, that age big. where they they were it. it. Was Every Beatle wigs, Beatle books, Beatle yeah. coverings for your books. The Beatles were everything. You know, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and then they got into the White Album and all that stuff, and it was just great stuff. And Linda McCartney was alive at the time. She died about four years after that of cancer. Bless her. She was a lovely lady, and she was a Eastman Kodak uh, family. So she was a photographer. And she met Paul, I think, because she was doing some photography and they were she was photographing the beat the Paul and he and the Beatles actually back in the day. And anyways, long story short, she was still around and he was he had a place in Icklesham Rye. So Icklesham is on the coast and it's a beautiful place. And it's about probably from here or Wentworth, where I was working at the time, a, a good part of my week, about two and a half hours or three hours by car journey. So basically, when he wanted to see me the first day, he basically had to pay for the whole day. So I, I got a 
they brought a cab and the guy gave me a ride down there and you go through this really countryside eventually. It takes forever to get down there. I thought I had to really relax, but the guy was driving like 80 miles an hour through this 40 mile <laughs> zone. So I was in the fucking back seat with my hand on artificial brake going, what the fuck? Anyways, <laughs> and our way down there the first time was quite funny. He says, you want to stop by a lay-by? Now, lay-bys are these places where you can get like a like a sausage roll, you know, and stuff like that. And we're going to see a vegetarian now. Don't forget, you know, Linda had her vegan stuff and Paul was doing her vegan. Oh yeah. I heard that's right. I heard stories about that. I think it was Billy Joel had said something about invite. Paul came over to his place and he had to hide all his meat or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So we're going down to see a vegetarian and we stop at a lay-by to have a sausage roll with an egg on it. Right. So we eat that and then we go the rest of the journey and there's, and, you know, and we, and the guy at the, at the lay-by is a real character, real character going, Hey, you're going to see, sir, going to see Paul. He wasn't sir then, I don't think. But anyways, he was worth about a billion. I think he had, you know, Michael Jackson had bought some, did some deal with him. I don't know. He, he just came into a whole mess of cash, but he had a recording studio near his house, which was actually in a windmill, believe it or not. And it was right on the coast. And the nice. average white band was there. Remember the average white band? Yeah. So they were the they were this backup musicians and wings for this for this piece. So, so I met those guys and, and Paul came in as I came in there and he met, he made me a, a cup of tea with a, with a, with a cheese sandwich. I had a piece of cheese with a bit of uh, chutney on it, which is like pickle and stuff. And he just started talking. He goes, Hey Josh, just going to have a cup of tea. I'm taking a break and we'll go do our workouts. I said, Oh, fantastic. So I'm taking him through his work and I'm thinking I'm with fucking Paul McCartney. And you know, I'm upstairs in the recording studio, not in his house. I'm in the recording studio on this floor. And I see all these pictures and these, you know, these platinum albums all over the place. And I get this exercise where I train people with my hands, Rich. So I'm, I'm having such a great time. He's loving the workout. He's saying, wow, you're doing everything with your hands. And I'm over the top of him. So picture this, buddy. He's on his back. He's looking up at me. He's got his arms in the kind of tricep position where you do tricep French curls. You know, right. you, yes. then you're But I've got my hands on his hands and he's pushing up. And all of a sudden, I must have got too excited and too carried away with myself. And I started salivating. And <laughs> you know, I you up spit a- on him? No, I drooled on him. <laughs> this fucking drooled on This fucking spit comes out of my mouth, and I couldn't stop it. It was like an Adam Sandler slow oh, motion Oh, it's like thing. slow motion. You see it coming down. Did you hit his face with it? I hit his fucking forehead, and the thing went <laughs> splat. And it, was, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a small drool. It was a fucking gob, Rich. Gob. And, and you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I should have gone. Now, now, every time I go over somebody, I, I always say to people, look, you, you know, I swallow first. Don't worry. I'm not going to drool on you. And they always laugh. You know, I think it's quite, this guy's fucking nuts, right? Which I am, obviously, in a yeah, good way. In but, a good way. But yeah. anyways, so, so I, spit, I spit on him. I'm, there's this like, you know, I don't know, tenth of a second. Was know, he aware of the gob oh, yeah. of spit that oh, hit his head? Oh, yeah. And he said in a Liverpudlian accent, which I can't do, but he said, you know, say it, don't spray it type of thing. And so that was the first workout I had with him. And he really liked it. And he took out like 50 sessions and, you know, sent the money through or whatever, gave me a check in those days. And, uh, and, and that covered really just about 10 workouts, right? Because it was a whole day. He paid me 10 hours for going down. It was the whole day, right? So because by the time I got back there, it was the whole day, right? Yeah. So anyway. By the next time I come down, it's another Monday. Now that Monday, 
I had seen this movie called The Backbeat. Did you ever see that movie? I don't think so. Uh, who was okay. in it? So The Backbeat was a story about the fifth Beatle, Peter Best, who died of, died of a brain tumor. And it talked about... Um, well, this is like the I drummer that pulled out when Ringo came in? When life was bad. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. Love was free. The best things in life are free. And rock and roll was forever. There goes Stuart Sutcliffe. Wait! He fell in love with a German girl. He could have been in the Beatles. Backbeat. Rolling Stone says it's a thrilling spectacle that rocks that That's guy? right. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, bad movie. so they had this, yeah, they had this movie, and I watched it on Saturday night, and I came down to see him on Monday, and I watched this movie. And I remember, I remember, because I was going to run a marathon that year, and I figured instead of going out, going on the town on Saturday night when I have a break between my five kids, I'm going to go to the movies. So I went to the movies. And I saw this movie and it was really good. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting and all this stuff. But like a lot of these movies, there's poetic license, right? They don't, it's not the true story. They just want, you know, they just, you know, it's like when, it's what's not an name? autobiography it, written by the Beatles. It's somebody else's um, creative hey, measure of their lives. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Got so, it. So this guy, so now I see it and he talks all these stories. So I, so we go on for a brisk walk. So now we started a brisk walk and we're walking through these beautiful field side near the near the near the coast and you know he says hi to the postman who looks like he's somebody that came out of woodstock with an earring and long hair and I, he goes hey tom and he goes hey paul and i'm thinking this is really cool this fucking guy he everybody just says hi paul he, everybody knows him as paul and i said that's really cool paul that you can just say hi to that guy he goes where the fuck am i i'm just a fucking musician so i said he goes what'd you do this weekend josh i said i went to see this movie so i said oh, okay he goes what was the movie you saw i saw the backbeat he goes he goes what would you feel like if Somebody got the credit for John getting John Cleese in shape for a fish call wonder because of poetic license. I didn't even have a chance to speak now. So he goes off for literally a half hour. He goes off on a rant. <laughs> then as long as you're dead, there's no use asking you where the Susquehanna hat company is. Susquehanna hat! My son hat! I was wearing the day and I was still. And you asked me about it! Luigi, how can I get to the Susquehanna hat company? Susquehanna! Not a heavy rant, not a like, fuck you rant. It built up to that. It was like, you know, I sang Long Tall Sally and my mom didn't call me up in Hamburg to say, you know, take, you know, to have a cookie and have a glass of milk. So he's saying the movie is total bullshit. He's saying the movie's total bullshit, but he's innuendos is about John, but didn't say John. She didn't say about John, didn't talk about John, didn't say anything about John. Now, as I'm seeing him, I'm just divorced. I'm thinking I want him to take out more sessions. I want to make a pitch to him, say, let's do it more often. And you pay me X amount of thousands will keep me good for a couple of weeks or whatever. And I'm worried about paying the rent. I'm not worried about being Josh Salzman, right? I know who I am. I'm just this personal trainer that happens to be with Paul McCarty. So now what do we do? So we end up going all the way back and he's still talking about it, not saying John. So we end up in the. Now, when you say not saying John, do you mean that there was. A, an angle of this thing that was more of a John Lennon angle and less of That's a Paul right. McCartney right. angle. He, Got it. He okay. Was, he, you were, you were hearing him being considered not a rock and roller. So now we're, we're in the studio. He's still going on about it. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's like saying things like at the very end, before I made this big mistake, my big, my second big mistake after drooling on him, which he said, he said, what are you going to be to be a fucking rock and roller? You got to sleep with your wife in a fucking window for a fucking week. You got to fucking take heroin to be a fucking rock and roller. And then he gets right up in my face, Rich, right up in my face. He right. goes, you got to fucking die to be a fucking rock and roller. And you know what I said? What? 
I said, and he looks at me and he goes, what do we do now, Josh? And I said, okay, John, let's do some squats. Uh, and he went, <laughs> I called him fucking John. You called him John. I called him John. After so all that, goes, after you just heard his whole position on this thing. Yeah, he even, he went. Were you thinking like, about I, John? Is that why you do you remember what you were thinking about when you said that, or it was just a quick reaction? It, just because I'm, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, listen, I, you know, I come off a heavy weekend with the kids, and you know, obviously I had a joint on Sunday night, so I'm, I'm yeah. still a little fucked, you know? okay. but I'm still, t- I'm still taking this in, like, fuck, I'm from Pittsfield, and this guy, you know, don't forget, Paul. I'm thinking to myself, fucking, you're being in competition with a guy that's dead. The only guy you're going to catch this guy, and the only way you're going to make people believe that you said we want a revolution, you can count me in instead of out, which was what he said. You, he said you can count me in, not just out. Was the point of it is, is that it's to die. The only way you can fucking catch him is die. So if you die, you'll be a fucking legend, won't you? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, and so, you know, he laughed at it. He know why I made my mistake. He caught himself. He could see he was like, you know, fucking, you know, you know, going off on one and he didn't apologize for it, but he kind of knew that's why I said it because he figured, well, this guy isn't very smart, you know, and I went off for without saying John, but the point I'm making is when I left there by the car, I thought, fucking this guy's got a billion pounds, you know, literally. And, and I don't have a pot to piss in, but he, he wants to be somebody else and he he's okay. You know, and I, that was a defining moment in my head, Rich, where I thought, you know, he's a, he was a great guy, and I saw him a bunch of times after that, and he had a whole mess of workouts, and we saw each other for a couple of years. But the point I'm making is, is that I think everybody, you never know until you know, that sometimes people don't really want to be who they are at the time. Now, I think he's he went through a couple divorces after that, but the point I'm making is that don't always think just because someone has got a big house and a plane and takes their holidays, and they spend $100,000 for a holiday in Jamaica, that they're as happy as they can be with who they are. We've had this discussion before. We've had this discussion. It's not, it's the fame, well, first of all, fame is fleeting. And money, it depends on what your relationship is with money. But you have this deep, he had this deep-seated thing about his contributions. I think as an artist, he has tremendous talent and incredible contributions, at least to my ears, to the things I've heard him do, I've liked a lot of what he's done. And he was my favorite Beatle when I was a kid growing up. But when you, people, like when John gets all this notoriety for being shot, and then, you know, everybody's talking about John's songs and what John did, yeah, I could see how it sets him off. John Lennon, to some, even many, was considered the nonconformist of the group, the outlaw the Dylan-like free thinker who is the voice of his generation. Look, he wasn't the outward happiest guy with a guitar in his hand and not a voice that you'd stay up late at night trying to copy. So what is rock and roll? What's a rock and roll star? If you go back to the 60s, rock and roll was delivered with a piano and a sax. Later in the 60s, it's replaced by guitars. And most rock fans swear that it's the lyrics that's the glue, the emotional connection to the song and the artist. Rock artists have a way of delivering a message, and when asked, say it's the words that gave them inspiration, like musical poets. To me, it's a beat, a rhythm I can connect with, hopefully delivered by an artist with a voice I can't get enough of a guitar or multiple guitars that accompany the heartbeat of the rhythm, a keyboardist that leaves his music books behind and just lets the music channel through his or her fingers, 
horns, strings, backup singers to drive home the chorus. All that said, Paul McCartney is a rock and roll king. He was part of the writing, part of the collaboration and the performances. So his music is not on a mission to self-destruct. He's not on a mission to self-destruct. And who said that's the end all? I think it just happens when artists get careless and trying to find the next level or the next party or the next high. I get it. Or they try to escape the harshness of the fans when they go elsewhere to get their music fix. Yeah, so Paul, it's okay to be happy, write music and sing music. And here I am telling a billionaire like, how to live their life. It's kind of stupid, right? Yeah, well, listen, I remember being in Tel Aviv when John Lennon, I think it was December 7th, 1980, that John Lennon was shot. Yeah, so that was pretty close. Josh got a buy. He was one day off. John Lennon was killed on December 8th, 1980. His killer was this guy, Mark David Chapman, who obviously had um, some type of mental disease. I mean, this guy came all the way from Hawaii and said he was angered by Lennon's lifestyle and public statements, especially the much publicized remark about how the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. And I remember coming back to the Tel Aviv Hilton and, and every, that's all anybody could talk about. It was one of those days you remember, you know, you remember where you were when John Lennon was shot. Wow. You know? Hey, do you re like, I, I think this is a clear memory I have, but there's so many memories in college that I have that I'm not sure if they're memories or I made this shit up, but didn't you and Roger Fink used to do this routine where he played piano and you'd sing and didn't you sing sure. Beatles songs too? Sure. No, I said, I didn't sing too many Beatles songs, but it was kind of like, you know, it was stuff like, um, you know, kind of like great balls of fire. Did you, you do know, great balls of fire? It was, it was great balls of fire. Yeah. And, and I remember that's what put me off rum and Coke. You remember? Cause we were at the beta house and we were partying and I was singing with Roger and everybody's around the piano and I'm singing great balls of fire or high school confidential or, uh, some sort of, won't you wear my ring up around your neck? You know, Elvis Presley type. Right. Stuff. Yeah, and, right. And I, I do I remember down, this. Yeah. And I reached down for a drink, which I thought was my drink, you know? Uh, those are the days everybody was smoking and stuff. And I saw this, this dark glass, you know, in front of me and I took a big swig of it. Well, halfway down my mouth, I realized I was swallowing like 20 butts. And, <laughs> and, <it did. laughs> and I went, I went, fuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I can't even fucking look at rum and coke I anymore. That's the fucking worst. Butts in there. Anyways, that's, that's the worst feeling. So anyway, listen, we've talked for an hour. And like always, you always feed me jewels to talk about. And um, yeah, so we talked a lot about Fergie and I learned a shitload about how generous a person she is. I mean, she helped you stay afloat when things were tough. And that's just like who she is. When she was in debt, millions of pounds, she's still being generous, which I think is really cool. And then we learned a little bit about Paul McCartney about as famous as he is and as wealthy as he is, he still has this thing about John and what others say about John. So well, that, that, was, that was at the time. So I think he's come to terms with it, but I think, yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's been one of those, uh, you know, good to catch up with my buddy on the other side of the pond, rich moments, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to do this again. We have to keep telling Yeah, there's got to be a bunch more people that you'll, that you've trained or you've had experiences that are out of the ordinary. 
which are probably most of yours. Well, Rich, I think, you know, when we met each other with the stripper, that was not how everybody meets, is it? Yeah, when I'm right. starting? No, no, I don't think so. so. Well, that's the well, only, that, I, you're the only person I've ever met where a stripper yeah, yeah. declosed them in front of 18 to 22 year olds. Everybody's just embarrassed and you're the guy that's doing yeah, well, it. I, I would say this, that's how we started off, you know, completely transparent. You know what I'm saying? And we still stay like that, yeah, which right. is great. Great yeah. feeling. So true. Well, I would say this, Rich. You and I have always been wealthy. Wealthy beyond means. We just could use a little bit more cash. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what is wealth? Right. What do you value? What's the yeah, most what important is wealth? thing you because value? Wealth is your health. Is your Because I always say to people this. Of the three things that people need in life, their physical and emotional health and cash, cash is the easiest one to get. <laughs> you know something, Rich? I think sometimes. People want to, I had this lady listen to it. You got another five minutes. Go ahead. I got all, I made that. I opened the afternoon for us to talk. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I just had a pushback from one client that canceled before because she just had her COVID jab and isn't feeling well. So I'm done for the day, to be honest. So the point I'm making is that, um, you know, I, it's quite funny because I, one of my clients listened to the, she, 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 I didn't think she would, I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play this part on her Spotify where I fart with Angelina Jolie. She wanted to hear the whole fucking thing. She wanted to hear it right from the fucking beginning. And she's not the kind of lady that you think would get off on this. She was fucking cracking up. And then the, my other Scottish guy that heard it, he's about, he's our age and he's a really great guy. He used to be CEO of Heinz, right? International. And now he just likes to work. He's a Scottish guy. He likes to work on his farm up in Scotland and shit Good like that. Him. But he, he's, he's up in the street and plays golf. And he's one of those guys that's retired like you, but he's, he's in the best shape of his life because of what we've been doing. And he, he said, wouldn't it be great, Josh? I can't do the Scottish accent. He said, wouldn't it be great if Angelina sued you at the high court, courts of justice and said, he said he farted in your face. Um, I would love you, that what, for the podcast. Are you kidding me? I, 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 I need best. an international event like that. So people are going to be going, what the fuck did they talk about on this podcast? <laughs> and next thing you go, you get millions of hits. <laughs> There's some things you could think and other things you could say. That's what I've yeah. learned in my life. And sometimes yeah, well, I've said things that are on my mind and after it gets out, I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. I'll tell you a funny lube story. Go so, ahead. So I was, you know, I was. It's already funny when you say that. Like no. That. So here's the thing. So I've, I've, you know, I've done some pretty interesting things in my career that at cocktail parties, people want to talk about this thing or that thing because the rest of it's boring as shit. But when I was a manager in this company that made condoms. Um, the sexual research that we had to do. So we'd go to the Kinsey Institute at the uh, University of Indiana in Bloomington. And right. this guy, Kinsey, did all this research on sex and sexuality back in the like the 30s, 40s, 50s. Well, it's become an institution. And so we um, underwrote this survey, the study that they did about people having sex and because and we wanted to know, like, should we come out with some other items like lubricants, sexual lubricants? Should we come out with vibrators in the market, right? Not, you know, not just at sex shops. And so right. the results for, first of all, these studies were fantastic. And going there to this place, you can imagine the people that are running this clinic. They're all like very freely open talking about sex, about their sex. Like, you know, like rarely do you go to dinner with a couple and one of them starts revealing the most intimate details of their sex life, you know, like what gets them off. 
you know, these so-called scientists at Kinsey are talking about experimenting with sex swings, anal beads, nipple clamps with electronic stimulus. I mean, you end up looking at their partner in an entirely different way. And then they're like, hey, could you pass a salt? <laughs> this to me was a departure. And I'm like, I love this job. This is awesome. So we do the research. I meet all these people. They start talking about all this, like just crazy how people get into, you know, when they get bored in relationships, how just the crazy shit comes out. And I'm eating this stuff. I'm loving this. So now I go back to my company. We have all this research. And now we've got to start going to our customers. We got to take all this data and information and put and kind of make it vanilla. So you could go in and speak to a female buyer about, you know, jacking off or using lubes or how you want to use lube or, you know, different ways you could use a vibrator. Well, I've never made that sales call before I had all this research. Now we're going to accounts and a lot of the buyers are females. And I've had a lot of sexual conversations with women, but not business conversations. <laughs> just a disclaimer. When I say a lot, I just mean more than one. So it's all straight right. face and you have to be like a doctor when you're talking, you know, so we're having the conversations and the more people I see, the looser I get about the conversations. And right. we have this one meeting with this one female buyer and she starts asking questions and I am telling her a hundred different ways that she could use this vibrator, which is it, not very professional. And then we get done and I'm like, oh, she's going to kick me out of this. She's, she's never going to buy anything. And as we're leaving, she goes, hey, do you guys mind if you leave those samples for me to take home? And I'm like, yeah, of course not. And then every other meeting I had with women talking about all kinds of sexual help items, it's like everybody wanted a sample. So it taught me that there's no difference between us and them other than oh, the really? stigma that you give. You call a woman a whore. The bottom line is we both want to have sex. We both want to get kinky. Everybody has their own little thing, but there is no difference. Notwithstanding the fact that we could be living on two different emotional planes. And that's why when it comes to the speed of peak performance, guys are like microwaves and women are more like slow cook ovens. Well, Rich, you say that because you think about Fifty Shades of Grey when that came out, that book, yeah. At Wentworth, all these women in their 30s and 40s, especially in their 40s and 50s, 40s really, got off on that. Everybody read it. Everybody loved it. They loved everything in that. It's out in the open because it comes out in the, this is stuff that's happening behind bedroom doors. Now it comes out in the open and people, women want to speak freely about it. At this point in the conversation, Josh and I start going down rabbit holes and start talking about things that we both agreed. Yeah, we're not putting it on the podcast. It's just way over the top. But then we started getting on the conversation of Viagra. And how it's like one of the greatest, uh, you know, inventions in modern medicine, at least for a male ego. And uh, so this is kind of part of the conversation. And even in this, I left some things out, but I just thought it was funny as shit. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm training this guy and, and this guy called Mario, and he ended up in jail for seven years. And I was training him and he said this the day before. And he said, look, Josh, you're going to have a rendezvous with this lady. I don't know if you ever used Viagra before, but you should take some Viagra because, you know, she'll get an orgasm more likely about three o'clock in the afternoon oh, before she it's like up. the it's golden cool. rod it's the golden rod so so i so he said let me give you some viagra so i never took viagra before you know anyway so so it's i'm training this guy 
Michael Parkinson. It's his second work on. Now, Michael Parkinson was a television host, and he would interview guys from George Best to Muhammad Ali. He was one of the most famous interviewers in England, in the history of England, right? He he did everything. He's was at the Six Day War. He everything. So he just went off the air about four or five years ago. We used to bring on guests, Ozzy Osbourne, everybody, you know, anybody, you know, uh, you know, he would even interview, you know, Oprah Winfrey, I think he did. But so I'm training him. He's about 70 years old at the time. And I took my hit of Viagra because I was going to meet. He told me it took an hour to get off on this shit. So I was going to meet this lady at my flat at like three o'clock and I'd finish him by about quarter of and I'd go over to the flat and meet her. And I figured that was the day we were going to have this little rendezvous because things have been building up and stuff. So anyways, so I took a hundred milligrams of Viagra just before I trained him. And, uh, Wait, hold on a work- second, a hundred. That's a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. That's so five twenty. That's, that's a lot. So like one yeah, of the greatest would- pharmaceuticals ever made. Yeah. So I'm now empty stomach pretty much. Cause I'm nervous about this thing. And I take a, yeah. I take a hundred milligrams and I'm training him, and he's got a pair of shorts on. And he's one of these older guys that got no hair on his legs. You know, they lose hair on their legs. The old guys, you know, yeah. and he had a pair of shorts on and I'm stretching him. And at the end of the stretch, I start fucking feeling fucking like I'm getting hard on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I know so the his feeling. Foot, I get his it. His foot hits my crotch. His foot hits my crotch by accident. And I get a fucking stiffy, right? And, and you I, can't stop it. Fucking, it can't stop it. He looks at me and I got this fucking boner, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I pull my shirt over my thing and he's looking at me like, what the fuck's the matter with him? You know? So we finished our stretch. Uh, I told him like a year later, listen, that, that wasn't you. That was this thing. And he started laughing. That was quite funny, you know, cause he had been through a few rodeos himself. Yeah. So here's a lesson learned. If anybody out there is going to take Viagra, make sure that you don't have any events between the time you take it and the time that you want to have sex where you'd be embarrassed because once you get a hard on, you just can't wish it away. It's kind of, it's a curse and it's a victory at the same time. So yeah, Josh learned the hard way and now we get to learn from his experience. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you still want to test out, like, what's the golden rod like, um, and you don't want to risk the fact that maybe something might happen between the time you take the pill and the time that you want to have sex, you know, try Cialis or Tadatafil. I mean, that's more like a time release situation where you can control it a little bit better. And here's my disclaimer. Consult your local physician. And as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, this golf podcast has gone off the rails. But here's a news flash to all of you adult golfers. Hey, golfers like to have sex also. I mean, hell, it's ball play. You've been listening to an episode of Tales from the First Tee, or at least that's what it started out to be. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.